weeks ago the Queen of England passed away and we just saw how the last two weeks it's all been about honoring this lady's life. Now whatever the politics you believe behind the royal family and park that aside, here's someone who served a people for 70 years whose life wasn't about herself and she was honored in such a unique and special way. It was actually just beautiful to see it that people can actually take time out of their calendars and park events and stop things so that we can just honor someone. How beautiful is that? But is it only people like the queen that should be honored in this way? I hope not. So let's pray. Father God, thank you that we can be here this morning and that you are moving mightily in this community as we keep trusting for our city and for the nations around us. I pray that as I preach this word that you can do, only what you can do is to take your word and impart it into our hearts and see something grow and see something transform us. Jesus, we do this because you are worthy of it all. You're the only one that needs to and should be worshipped. We do this so we may know you better, see you better, and live for you better. And I praise in Jesus' name. Amen. So last night's rugby game... um, was uh, those of you who watch rugby, those of you who don't watch rugby, no judgment. It's really getting difficult to watch rugby at the moment. Um, still trying to convert most of my family over to, to soccer or to football. But ultimately, there was this circumstance like we needed to beat this team with 39 points and with a bonus point, then we win the whole tournament. And everyone woke up Saturday morning with optimism because we can actually do this. Why? Because we are playing Argentina in South Africa. We have what we call hometown advantage. All right, if we had to do this somewhere else in the world, I think the optimism wouldn't have been so big. Now, I don't know if we're just very positive people in South Africa, but you're like, no, we're going to crash them, 50 points. We're going to do this. Now, it didn't happen, but we still had the hometown advantage. It gave us the greatest opportunity to actually do this, what we wanted to do, right? Now, today is a very special day. It's the 25th of September, and the reason for that is, is that it's exactly three months before Christmas. Yes, the official countdown to Christmas has begun. You can start getting excited. You can start getting out your Michael Bublé CDs. You can start playing Christmas carols on your way to, on your way to work. And what this time of year also always brings out is these... What's that, what's that channel on DSTV with all the Christmas? Holiday Hallmark Holiday Channel. Right, and every Christmas movie is about this big city person that goes back to their hometown. Just notice that. Have you seen that? And oh, the hometown of 400 people in Nobum Sprite, South Africa, are so excited that this, the person from the big city has returned. And there's this excitement and there's this, oh, did you see she's back? Anyway, my... Almost said my wife loves the movies, but I end up watching just as much as she does. So, so I guess that's kind of me in there as well. Hometown advantage. Like hometown, there's like this welcoming for these people. A few years ago, I was on a mission to Berlin in Germany, and we did a bit of a tour of Germany. There was a, a, a ministry opportunity in Dortmund, uh, which is to the north. 
And so Dortmund have a very special soccer team called Borussia Dortmund. It's the, it's the second best team in, in Germany, and um, they're known for very passionate people, uh, supporters. Now, I'm going to show you. Now, you see that picture. So that picture is a picture of what they call the yellow wall. Now, this is 25,000 people on a very small piece of pavilion that's only standing seats. So whether you're a doctor or a dentist or a plumber or a teacher, people just find camaraderie there. And this is almost like they call it like the, 12th, uh, the extra man, the 12th man. Now, you can imagine what that looks like. You can show the next picture um, of this is what hometown looks like when, when the soccer team plays in Borussia Dortmund Stadium. Um, you, when you read some interviews of visiting teams, you'll see that they are more afraid of the yellow wall than what they are actually of the team they're playing against. Now, it's interesting, the stadium, we went on the stadium tour of the, of the stadium, and um, it's interesting how even the, the, the people are very clever. It's like the home team have warm water and hair dryers and soft seats in the locker room. Okay, so you go and you do this tour of the home locker room. It's very nice. Then they take you to the away team locker room. Guys, it looks like something that's, there's, there's no soft seats. There's no warm, they don't put warm water in the away team's locker room to try and psych out this team. Now, now, I don't know about you, but you've seen soccer guys, they're kind of into the fashion aspect and they want to do the gel and the hair. There's no electric points in that. They can't do hair dryers. So now you get there and you're really agitated about hometown. Man, it's great. And then when you go to the pitch, actually, on the bench. Now, I mean, Germany gets cold in the winter. So the home team bench. I've got seat warmers for the guys that are sitting outside there. And it looks like, you know, those, you know when you see a nice race car seat, you know, it's like these pads and everything. It's beautiful. Then you come to the away team seats and there's like this wooden bench and little nails popping through. They make it as uncomfortable as possible find it very fascinating, but I'll show the next picture, just what, what the yellow wall looks like. Now imagine 25,000 people standing, chanting, singing. There is a 57-year wait list for season tickets on this pavilion. So if you apply today, 2079 is your year. <laughs> Crazy. But I mean... Can you imagine being a player playing in that stadium and your, your jersey is yellow? Can you imagine being part of this hometown? And we see it in movies and in sports. There's always this excitement behind the home team or the home player or the hometown hero that comes back from New York to their small town village. There's this, and why? Because there's this honor there's this value placed on the person or the team. There's this excitement. There's this, they're almost like legends walking around on that soccer field. The sad thing is this, is, about this is, is that we see this a lot in sports and we can kind of make that connection. We see this in movies. But oftentimes in our day-to-day -day lives, this isn't necessarily true. Because we end up treating the people we actually are the closest to, sometimes the worst than anyone in our lives. Say, so when I'm thinking of hometown, what does hometown represent? Hometown means a place where you are rooted, connected, and well-known. So for the sake of the sermon, your hometown is your, your marriage, 
or your family or your business or your office or your res or whatever. A place where you are well known. How do you treat the people that are the hometown heroes in your life? Isn't it sad that sometimes we're more polite to strangers than what we are to the person we confess that we love the most in the, in the world? That's strange, isn't it? I'm going to open up a piece of scripture where we see even Jesus getting the same treatment. So Mark 6, I want us to read this together. You can follow with me in everything in bold. I want you to read with me so that we engage in scripture together. All right, so Mark 6, verse 1 to 7. He went away from there and came to his, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were saying, where did this man get these things? What is this wisdom that was given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters with us? And they, say that again. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could not do mighty works there. I want you to say that. And he could not do mighty works there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled. And he went about among the villages teaching. It's an incredible piece of scripture, and, and to me, such a sad piece of scripture. So what was happening, Jesus was doing, his reputation was growing. He was, his reputation was growing. Incredible miracles had just happened before what, where we find ourselves now in scripture this morning. He just healed a woman who had a bleeding issue for 12 years. She became an outcast in a society. Jesus encounters her, and she gets healed. In fact, Jesus, after that, raises a little girl from the dead. So talk about hometown. Jesus on his way back to Nazareth. This is where we find ourselves. Nazareth, now, it's not where he was born, but it's where Jesus grew up. So on the back of these miracles, raising dead people, healing people that have been sick for 12 years, he's on his way home. And he's not on his way home for a family visit, no, because the disciples came with. So you can see he's actually going there to do what he wants. He's been doing everywhere else. He's not coming home to say, Ach, Ma, can I please have of your blessed, your best spaghetti bolognese? He's not coming home for a rest. He's bringing his disciples. We're going to minister now. And I find it amazing that in four short verses, the people went from astonished to offended. What happened? This is his hometown. This is the homecoming. This is the executive moving from New York City back to the little uh, winter village to take over the inn of the local home, uh, village, to be the new guest house owner. This is the hometown player coming back to play in front of the yellow wall. They went from being astounded and astonished to offended in four short verses. Just think of this, Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of Man, filled with God's Spirit without measure, is sent to heal the sick and all who are oppressed. He cannot fulfill this commission 
not because it wasn't God's will, but because he was restricted by the withholding of honor and the lack of faith. Jesus on his mission to healing people, and it's happening all over. It's happening all over, and he goes home to do exactly what he was sent out to do, but he doesn't. He can't. He's restricted because he's dishonored. And because there's dishonor, there's a lack of faith in the people. This is scary to me because this piece of scripture says to me, I can be amazed at Jesus and not really believe in him. I can be amazed at what he does, but not really desire to know him. How do I go from being amazed in Christ by being offended in Christ? Do you see how it happens like this? The Nazarenes, the hometown hero, comes home and he's dishonored by his own people. How is he dishonored? Number one, they questioned his authority. They questioned his authority. Where did these, this man get these things? Now, prior to this, Jesus had actually been home once to Nazareth, um, which really went badly for him. They almost killed him. They like try to actually, they chased him out of town. So Jesus actually comes back a second time, oh, guys, I'll give you another chance. We do not find in Scripture that Jesus ever goes back to Nazareth after this experience. That almost like him, them pushing him out of the city the first time, that this is worse. Being dishonored is even worse than being chased away. They question his authority. Where did this man get these things? Oh, by the way, previous time they thought he was doing this on behalf of the devil. So they had an authority issue. And, and I think this is where, if you struggle with honor, if you're struggling to honor God, if you're struggling to honor people around you, it's probably because you have an authority issue. You don't really, you've got, you've got a problem with something being at a higher place of honor or authority or power over you. That's why you struggle to honor. If you're struggling to honor your spouse, it's because you struggle with authority. And if you struggle with authority, ultimately, you are struggling with faith, with a lack of trust. I do not trust you, therefore, I cannot accept the place that you have in my life, and therefore, I dishonor you. God, I cannot honor you because I want to be my own captain of my boat, and therefore, I do not have faith that you are good enough in my life. Therefore, I don't have faith. You are not in authority, and I will not honor you. They question his ability. How are such mighty works done by his hands? Have you ever asked maybe some of these questions towards God? Why did you do this? How are you doing this? They question his identity. Now, interesting. So is this not the son of Mary? Very interesting. This is a very patriarchal culture. So you are known by your father. What do you think... <laughs> What do you think they're actually insinuating here? Jesus, aren't you the son of Mary? Now, if you were known to be coming from your, or to be known by your mother's side, what that actually means is that you are a son of a harlot, a son of a prostitute. So can you see the dishonor just going, the lack of respect just going deeper? 
They question his divinity. Isn't this just a carpenter? Surely he's not God. God, if this was you, you wouldn't have let this happen in my life. We question the divinity of God. And then the last one, the question is uniqueness. Isn't he sisters among us? Isn't he just like anyone else? Familiarity. No, man. That's just Sarah's booty. How do we dishonor God? How do we dishonor one another? Ultimately, we question these things about each other and about God. And then it hit me like, offense is always just five questions away. From being amazed to being offended. How do you treat your spouse? Oh, it's just, it's just this guy. How do you treat your parents? How do you treat your leaders? Now, he's just one of us, man. I, I grew up with a guy. Now, as a preacher, sometimes when we give a new preacher's opportunity, we have got the opportunity to miss this as well. Ah, this is just, man, I've, I've seen him make mistakes. Or do I come here, humble my heart, and say, Lord, here is someone who's bringing word on your behalf, and if I am too prideful to see that, I will miss it. And what do we miss? What is, the, what is the issue that when you and I lack honor towards God and God's people, we miss what he wants to do? Jesus could do nothing there. That's a scary statement. And when I look at these Nazarenes, we can say, oh, you should have known better. But when I look deeper, I see us. We're them. See, the problem is we treat God as common. It's just another, it's just God. He'll forgive me. It's not that bad. The sin is okay. He's the man upstairs. The big guy. Jesus is my boy. We've become so familiar with God. Because you come to church every Sunday and you're exposed to who Jesus is and what he's done for you. And the next Sunday you come and it's like, oh, it's the same. Yes, oh, thank you. Thank you. Hallelujah. And, and we be, it's just we tend to get so saturated with the truth that it ultimately it starts have, stops having the effect. Where is the blessedness that we once had when we came to salvation knowing what Jesus has done and impacted in our lives? Are we allowing ourselves to become so desensitized to who Jesus is that he's just one of the gang? And if Jesus were walking, ah, oh guys, it's just Jesus. Jesus, grab a chair. How's the boot? Grab a chair. Become so familiar. How do you know if you become familiar with the presence of Jesus? Is your soul still refreshed when you come here on a Sunday morning and you leave 10.30? Or do you get frustrated that when it's 10.35 and we are still in church and you're like, my, my highlights aren't waiting for anyone, you know? Do you walk out here refreshed? Do you enjoy Jesus? And, and yeah, this is, it's tough. Honestly, 10 years in ministry, I don't ask myself this question, I will fall off the cliff. Am I just doing this because it's a duty and I get 
Is it my responsibility to be on Sunday? Or do I run to Jesus the moment I can, like I was when I was young? That no one had to ask me to do something. I was there because Jesus is enough. When I said you just respond because of Jesus, not because someone asked you. And this hits me hard, guys, because I can be amazed at Jesus, but, if, but offended very quickly after that. I can be amazed in Jesus and not live a life of faith. This should kind of grip us and say, what's going on? What does your Christianity look like? Is your Christianity limited to a few hours a week? To a few certain expressions a week? Or are we desiring the living God? Or is it just so familiar? danger with this, friends, is if you and I become so familiar, so content, so comfortable with God, that there's a restriction on what he wants to do in this community. See, we roll out the red carpet for so many other things in our lives, right? People, especially important people. We, 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 even for certain people, we'll change our personality. Right? For job opportunities, for new cities. I was like, oh, yeah, I've got a job opportunity for Cape Town. Cape Town's beautiful. Red carpet, here I go, and it will abrupt my life completely. I'll move in a heartbeat. But for Jesus, now, Jesus, get in line, man. Just, why don't you and I wait together for the next opportunity? See, we roll out the red carpet for so much stuff in our lives. Does Jesus have the right to come in and completely disrupt your life from head to toe? Or have we become so, no, no, Jesus doesn't do that. <laughs> no, no, Jesus, no, Jesus doesn't challenge us. He just sings sweet melodies in my ear and tells me everything's going to be okay. Even moments like this, guys, you can have a preacher here that steps into an atmosphere of expectancy and of faith. And this could be the worst preacher with the worst sermon, with the worst illustrations, falling over his words or her words, falling off the stage even. It goes so terrible, but because there's an atmosphere of expectancy that God is going to do something in our midst, it will be amazing. But then the other side is if we walk in here on a Sunday and... There's an atmosphere of, of familiarity, of dishonor. This is just kind of part of the weekly routine that the best spirit-filled, faithful, charged preacher will step in here and that sermon will fall completely fat. Yeah. And you'll walk out your unchanged and say, that was nice, what's next? See, we do this with God and unfortunately we do this with people. Why? Because unfortunately, people are unwilling to see the greatness in people that they know best. And I've been convicted about this, is that the people that I know best and love best, am I giving them as much attention of who I am than those that I see sporadically, you know, just whenever? Am I investing into my wife and to my daughter and the greatness and the gifting that's there? Am I working and calling it out day by day, week by week, so that they can step into the place where God's calling, or is it just my wife? She must fall in line, the church queue is long. No, when I go to work, I'm this person of energy and positivity, and here I go, and you know, like a how's it done? And yes, how's it boot? And here I go, and at home I'm like, yeah, how's it? Yeah, no, like a, your day good. 
and you're on your phone. How do we treat the gifts that God has actually given us? Your workplace. Somewhere you prayed for that opportunity, by the way. Somewhere you asked people, hey, I'm trusting God for a new, for an open door. Now it's two weeks into the open door and you're frustrated. (laughs) Can we never become familiar with moments like this on a Sunday or in our connect groups, whenever we gather together? That we come here with a level, God, I wonder what you're going to do in my life today. I wonder what's going to be planted in my soul so that when I go back on Monday, wherever I should be, there's going to be change. Guys, otherwise, we can watch TED Talks and DVDs. Do we honor God with everything in us? And do we honor those that God has deemed good for us to be in our lives? So if you're wondering, okay, where is, I want to, what is honor? That's a great question. What is honor? Honor is placing value on someone because of who they are, not because of what they do or don't do. Honor is placing value on someone because of who they are, not because of what they do or don't do. You are my wife, therefore I honor you. You are in a position that God has placed you, therefore I honor you. You are my president. Because you are my president, I honor you. Mm, please don't, don't speak about government in church. <laughs> well then, take out your Bibles, let's rip out a few pages. Honor is saying someone is priceless to you. You're priceless. Doesn't mean they're perfect, no. Guys, maybe let's... There's one perfect one, his name is Jesus Christ. The rest is all in progress. So we are not looking for perfection, we are looking for progress. And what is progress? 1% at a time. 0.1% at a time. Let's not idolize perfection. If you're going to look for the perfect job, the perfect husband, the perfect wife, the perfect holiday, the perfect church, you're going to look for the rest of your life. Don't idolize perfection. Honor is saying this person has value and worth because it was given by God. President Cyril Ramaphosa has value and worth because God created him and put him in place. Honor means that you carry a weight and a burden for this person within yourself. The well-being of this person, whoever this person is, I carry a burden and a weight within myself to make sure this person's going to be okay. And not just going to be okay, he's going to thrive. He's going to be all God called him to be. See, the difference between honor and respect is respect is a feeling of deep admiration for someone or something because of their abilities, accomplishments, or qualities. Honor, on the other hand, refers to a high respect and a great esteem. This is the difference. I respect you because of what you do and and your achievements and your characteristics, but I honor you for who you are, regardless of what you've done. So honoring someone has everything to do with yourself and not much to do with the other. Why do we honor God? Because he's God. Not because what you claim or think that he hasn't done in your life. I'm not saying it's easy. But if we have to say now, honor someone when they become honorable, then no one has to honor you, quite frankly. 
No one has to honor me then if that's my perspective on life. So whether Steve Murrell, our president, every nation president, says the following. He says, whether or not a respected person says something about their life, values, and character. Whether or not I honor a person says something about my life, my values, and my character. Honor is given. I give honor. I give honor. Respect is earned. But I give you honor. Now, what difference will honoring someone in my relationship, whether it's my spouse, whether it's my parents, whether it's my colleagues, whether it's my president, whether it's whatever, what difference does honoring make, Wes? Good question. Honoring esteems and lifts up. Dishonor devalues and tears down. To honor someone is to believe the best about them. To dishonor is to believe the worst. Always suspicious. Always believing the worst. Always have the end result is negative in mind. How are you ever going to elevate someone to what God's called them to be if that's what your expectation is of them? Honor lifts. Dishonor tears down. I think of a man called David and Saul in the Bible, where Saul turned out to be a tyrant and very not a good leader. David was prophesied to be king somewhere between the age of six and eight. He knew he was going to be king. Imagine a six-year-old currently walking around knowing they're going to be king. <laughs> and time and time again, as David grew up, he had opportunity upon opportunity to take Saul's life without ever anyone knowing. Knowing fully that the moment Saul dies, he becomes king. And Saul did terrible things. Saul was not a good guy. But David didn't because of the honor that he had for Saul because of what God has done and placed him in. He could have killed Saul. No one would have knew and claimed it was a lion. And then the next day had his own ticket tape parade. But he didn't. If I think of Noah and his sons, Noah gets drunk one day on a beach. It's going to make a joke there, but I'm not going to know. <clears throat> Noah gets drunk on a beach, and his sons come there. Two of his sons do their best to cover their father. Is it right to get drunk on the beach? No. But because of the honor they had towards their father, they went. The other son went to try and expose his father. And ultimately brought a curse upon himself and his tribe that came from him. You can go read Genesis 30. Fascinating story of two brothers covering the mistakes of their father, the other brother trying to expose it and ultimately taking on a curse for the rest of his life. See, honor is given because of the, the position that God has installed in our lives. And here's the thing, if we give honor, the person will start to grow in the honor because it lifts them up. If I honor you as my leader, my leader will grow in the honor. But if I dishonor, he cannot grow. In fact, it will tear down. If you want to see your relationships flourish, give honor. Because they will grow in it. Think of the toughest relationship you have right now. Give honor and see them grow. When Jesus is honored, when he's lifted high, when we make a big deal of who Jesus is, what happens? His gifts are released. Because we are not placing restrictions of dishonor and lack of faith on him. That's why when we gather here, that's why as a church, we are Christ-centered. Jesus, you are the main event. You are the main attraction. You are the only one that is to be worshipped. Because that is his rightful place. 
Maybe someone in your life is not moving in the blessing and gifting God has for them because of the dishonor you're showing them. I have to ask myself, what, what miracles, what breakthroughs does God have for us in our lives? But because of lack of honor towards God or lack of honor towards people God's put in our lives, it hasn't happened. There's been a restriction. Yeah, a few people got, got healed. Great. But if I see what Jesus was doing in other towns and see what he did in Nazareth, Lord, I want, I want this. I want this, Lord. It's amazing that a Roman centurion doesn't come from a Jewish culture, doesn't know anything about Jesus, recognizes something about Jesus, and his child gets healed miraculously many kilometers further away. Do you know what Scripture says when that happened for this guy, this pagan guy who knows nothing about Jesus? Jesus marveled at his faith. See, Jesus marvels at two things in Scripture. One, lack of faith and faith. wonder what miracles God has wanted to do in our lives, what blessing God wanted to give us, what prayers God wanted to answer, but he didn't because we lacked honor. Scripture says that this is the word of God, honor one another above yourself. So who should we honor? Let's open up the word of God and see. Parents, Exodus 20 verse 12. Honor your father and your mother. Yeah, but ways you don't. I don't see any other clause in that scripture. Yeah, but no. Exodus 20 verse 12 says, honor your father and your mother. And in fact, there's a promise attached to that, that you will live a long life. And this doesn't, this isn't a place where you and I can judge if they're worthy of it or not. Now, this is normally a scripture we have for teenagers, right? <laughs> this is one of, if you've got teenagers in the house, you will print this in your home and put it on the fridge magnet. <laughs> right? But did you know that this scripture is as applicable for a 17-year-old than a 37-year-old? If you've still got parents. That this scripture is as applicable as for a 17-year-old and a 37-year-old as a 57-year-old. See, oftentimes now, you teenagers, now what about you adults? Are you still honoring your parents? Honor is given. Now, ways, but I've got an abusive. Yes, guys. Honor doesn't mean obey. Honor doesn't mean stay. Honor doesn't mean agree. Doesn't. If you're in an abusive relationship, then we would encourage you to get out there, and we'll help you and 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 do what we can to to see that you're free from that. There's a post, there's a position of honor that you and I are called to give. Regardless of what the person does or hasn't done. How do we do this with our parents? Well, number one, we forgive the bad. Forgive the bad, remember the good, and serve God. If you want to honor your parents... I mean, I can, each one of us can tell different stories about our parents. You can tell a story and the, your parents would sound like the best people in the world. And then you can tell a different story about the same people and they will sound like the worst parents in the world. How do we honor our parents? We obey God and his word that says, honor your parents. Forgive the bad and remember the good. And we serve God. Number two, your spouse. 
Scripture is full of how you and I are called to honor our spouses. Ephesians 5, Hebrews 13. And this is so, so important. If you want a marriage that is blessed, instead of tearing each other down, why don't you lift one another up? Romans 12 says the following. Romans 12 says, outdo one another by the way you show each other honor. Who likes a bit of healthy spousal competition? Like who can, instead of saying, who can cook the best chicken biryani? Who can make the beds up the best? Here's a better competition. Who of you can honor one another the best? If you want your, your, your marriage to thrive, why don't we say, why don't we try, try and out-encourage one another? Why don't we try and out-cherish one another, out-give towards one another, honor each other? Why don't we do this? 30-day challenge, marriage challenge. Here we go, every nation willows. Now, if you're dating someone, you can date with dishonor or you can date with honor. Same principle applies. If you're having premarital sex with someone you're dating, that means you're dishonoring them. I always tell when you get to marry people, I say to them, do you realize that the person standing right next to you right now is the biggest gift that God is giving you apart from salvation while you're on earth with regards to your purpose, with regards to your calling, with regards to your sanctification, and with regards to your holiness. And then newlyweds say to me, yes, Wes, I know that. Look at her, look at him. There's this amazing connection, like they know it. I know, Wes, I've been praying, I've been you know, purifying myself from things. I know this person is all is this gift of God. <laughs> and somewhere, just see that perspective in our marriages change. So a person who has a gift, four or, five verse later, four or five verses later, is a curse. What happened? Do you realize the amount of honor you gave each other there on your wedding day? Honor. How do you create a culture of dishonor in your marriage? Each spouse is kind of, or each gender is responsible for one thing. Number one, men, cowardice. We create a culture of dishonor in our marriages when we act more like cowards than what we do men. What I mean by that is not talking about things, retreating, finding our holes to hide, finding our distractions, our hobbies. We withdraw. It's cowardice. It's not speaking up. It's not stepping up. It's not taking authority. It's not being mindful of my spouse. On the other side, majority women, how do we, how do you create a culture of this on your marriage is by control. Trying to control every narrative, trying to control every outcome, trying to control what needs to happen, when it needs to happen. So you've got these polar um, points that are actually pulling you further away from, from honoring each other. And there's a place we have to come and say, I'm sorry, forgive me. A place to see you as God intended you to be because that is who you are. Try it. Out-honor each other. Out-encourage each other. Out-uplift one another as what you can. And primarily you're doing this for God, firstly, because we honor Him. Number three, government and workplace. First Peter 2 says, honor everyone, 
Love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. <laughs> so this is government, this is workplace, this is your boss, this is someone who is authority over you. If you're in a team, you honor your coach. If you're in a school, you honor your teacher. If you're working for someone, you honor them. Yeah, but ways. I'll be a much better boss than this person. You know what? Maybe you're right. Maybe you would be. But not now. The greatest lesson of authority you can learn is by first being under it before you can have it. And we see this with millennials, guys, people my age. We like moving, eh? <laughs> oh, we like one month into the job. No, oh, I hate this place. Then we start sending CVs out again. Like, here we go, here we go. No. God's calling you to work through things because you need character, you need credibility so that when you face these things one day, you know how to handle it. Honor. Now, guys, I'm not saying, here's the thing, this, it doesn't mean we can't disagree. Can we build a culture in our, in our marriages, in our families, in our church, in our workplaces where you and I can disagree without dishonoring one another? You and I do not agree. I like pork and you like lamb. We will never agree on this situation, but I don't have to tear you down for it. I like the aircon in the room. My wife doesn't like the aircon in the room. That will never change. So we will disagree on the temperature of our room until the day we're not here anymore. But I do not have to dishonor her and tear her down and belittle her because she does not see things like I see it. And if you're a boss, if you're leading someone, your biggest testimony to Jesus, your biggest testimony of a transformed life is the way you honor the people that work for you. If you want your, your, work people, your employees to honor you, you honor them first. You give it first. Just because you've got a higher title or a bigger salary doesn't make them less valuable. Yes. If you want to see your company flourish, you honor your employees. If you've got a lot of colleagues and peers around you, you honor them. Honor isn't just a up to my leaders. No, honor is up, sideways, and to those I lead. Number four, church leadership. 1 Timothy 5. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Now, this isn't a weird theology where we say worship the pastor. We do not believe that you should worship any man. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. Thank you. But it's biblical to honor our leaders. It's to esteem them highly and consider them of double honor. This is the word of God. That's why I can say this in front of you guys as an elder, as a preacher. Because this isn't Wesley looking for his time to shine. This is Wesley saying, guys, let's look at the scriptures. Because I too have elders and people that are rule, ruling over me. I had a friend who's a church leader and at a camp, and he leads a group of people. Now, guys, we have, I'll get to that now, and he was at a camp, and what happened is someone in the congregation pulled down his pants in front of everyone. Can you imagine the dishonor in that? Your leader, someone who God has placed over you to shepherd and grow you and train you, you're pulling down their pants. Can you imagine that dishonor? Would you do that with anyone else? Now, as, as every nation, we have a very relational culture, especially when it comes to leadership. 
We do not believe that the leaders, you have your little pocket over there, and then you pop out when it's service time, and then you retreat back to your circle over there with your security and your Rolexes and stuff like that. But let's not abuse a relational culture that we build in our churches by dishonoring one another and becoming so familiar so that when Reza stands up and preaches on the stage, I am sitting there expectant what God's going to do through her. I'm not just seeing her as Reza. I'm, th- I'm the most proudest when some of my friends that I've walked with and seen them just journey through life, get onto the stage and represent God and bring his word in such a profound way. Man, that makes me proud. Even if they're my friends. Even if I can tease them 15 minutes later that they support a soccer team who never wins a game. But right there, right now, I'm, I'm parking the familiarity. I'm sitting there by someone who's been anointed by God to encourage and to teach and to strengthen us. You will never look into the eyes of someone that isn't precious to Jesus. So who are you and I called to honor? Everyone. You will never look into someone's eyes that isn't precious and wasn't worth Jesus' blood. It goes from the cleaner in your house, the petrol attendant, the waiter, the government, the doctor, the nurse, the receptionist, the barista, do we honor people because Jesus did first? Do you know how he honored people? He, he placed such a high value on people that he was willing to die himself so that they may have eternal life. Talk about putting people in a high place. How do we honor God, friends? Let me finish with this. The last place you and I call to honor is God. 1 Peter 3 says, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Honor Christ. Number one, how do we honor? We honor God with what we have and what he has given us. Did you know that every cent and every asset and every opportunity and every dream that you have is God's? Amen? And he said, here you go. Steward this for me for the 90 years that you'll be on earth. So we honor God by being generous, by being mindful, by using our finances and our times and our treasures to honor him back. That's why we tithe. That's why we are generous. That's why we give to ministry partnership. That's why we give to reach. That's why we help out where we can. Because we want to honor God with what he's given us first. Number two, we honor him with our bodies. Friends, you and I are set apart for his glory. We should not look, sound, smell, Eat, drink, entertain like the world because we've been set apart. That means that there are some places we won't go and some things we won't do. There are some things we don't look at and there are some things that, we, that make us might look different to people because we are, because we've been set aside and called to honor God with our bodies. Because we are the church, because we have been set apart by Christ, there's certain things you and I do not watch on Netflix. Because you and I have been set apart, there's certain things you and I do not do in relationships as God has determined it to be. The reason I do not indulge in sexual sin is, yes, it's wrong firstly, but God, because I want to honor you with everything in me, because without you, I am nothing. Because I want to honor God, I do not engage in homosexual relationships, because I have, my sexuality doesn't give me identity. 
My identity is derived from the King, from the Most High, the one who's the only one who laid his life down for me. And because I honor him, now I can say I don't have to indulge into these things. And we honor him with our worship. It's not just lip service. It's not just coming here, singing a few hallelujahs, and then we go home and, and until next week it's a few hallelujahs, and then we go home and we worship him. Every morning, every afternoon, every evening, no matter what we do, whether you're in the boardroom or in the classroom or in the what other kind of rooms you might find yourself, we worship God. It's not just lip service. I believe in Jesus. I really. <laughs> Your lifestyle's supposed to not make me cause to ask. Oh, really? As a church, our mission statement starts with we exist. To honor God. If you're part of this family, this is our primary thing we are called to do. Whatever we do, wherever we go, however we do it, we are called and we exist to honor God. As a church and as individuals. This is something that's not just my church slogan. This has become my slogan. God, I exist to honor you with everything. Therefore, this dictates my behavior.